out there. Um, I am posting this one daily and I'm so, 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 so sorry. I was super sick um, all last week and I was trying to get my life together and apparently didn't work out. So I'm now posting this a little late. Um, this conversation was with Britt Banks, who is the uh, director, filmmaker of Nightmares Are Dreams 2, which is an indie project that's coming out um, currently and uh, is also currently crowdfunding for their project as well. Um, I'll link all the stuff in the show notes below. We had a great conversation. Um, Britt is a really hilarious, funny person. God, I probably still sound absolutely disgusting. I'm probably still so stuffed up. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast for this uh, week, and I deeply apologize for not having this out sooner. I'll check you guys in two more weeks. God willing, I don't get coronavirus. Okay, bye! Hello out there, it is I, your not-so-humble host, Isabella L. Price, back out of the crypt, rising, crawling out of the grave. Let me get these worms out of my eyes. There we go. And I'm back again with another episode and another guest that I'm so, so, so happy to bring to you guys. I found this, uh, our next guest on Twitter. I was uh, fascinated with their uh, their intellect, their strong, witty repartee, and then I heard that they were a filmmaker. I heard that they were doing some uh, some some filmmaking, making a film that had to do with Ghost of the South, the American South, and I was like, who is this person? What is this person up to? Let's be friends. Sorry, person, you don't have a choice in the matter. Uh, and now I have somehow conned this amazing person to be on my podcast. Ladies and gentle ghouls, give it up for Britt Banks. Hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Britt, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast and taking some time out to talk to us. Um, I, uh, well, I'm going to let you introduce yourself in your own words. So how do people, wh what do you do? Where do you come from? What's your backstory? So my name is Britt Banks, like you said. I was born in Gary, Indiana and raised in Long Beach, California. And um, I went to college, I did the whole nine. And one thing that's always been the same with me is that I've always been an avid horror fan. And so I've had a million and one jobs and finally decided um, in my mid-20s that I wanted to be a writer and what better content to write than horror. So here we are. <laughs> so you've been a lifelong horror movie fan uh, your whole life. So what do you, what do you think is like the, the first horror movie that really had an impact on you? To be honest, I think it was um, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Freddy Krueger had a huge impact on me because that was the only character, like the absolute only movie that I was ever scared of. I remember um, I had nightmares like night after night after night of Freddy Krueger. And my mom, she was just like, you need to, to chant something before you go to sleep so that you won't think about him. And it worked. And um, aside from Freddy, which I, I really do think um, 
molded me <laughs> to, I think that was the test of time. It was like, okay, are you going to be scared of this or are you going to stick with it? But I mean, there were so many other films. I think um, there is a film with Whoopi Goldberg. Um, what is it called? Ghost. Have you seen it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was like one of my first favorites. And I watched it so many times when I was a kid. So I would say that that also kind of pushed me towards the love of what's considered the horror genre. I think a lot of people, Nightmare on Elm Street, it, it seems like it's Nightmare on Elm Street. It's, um, it's Sleepaway Camp. Uh, it's Halloween. Those are like the three movies that so many people saw. But I, I have a theory that there's something about Freddy Krueger that, that upsets black people. And I don't know what it is, <laughs> but there's something psychological um, with Freddy Krueger that so many black people I know are terrified of Freddy. And I think it's because black people just want to sleep and we love sleep and we love to rest and we need rest. And this idea of this um, knife-handed man inside your dreams is the worst <laughs> I, I i don't know what it was i mean it could have just been the fact that you know he he does literally come in your dreams in yeah in the movie so i think that's it was just all in my sight but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just watched um nightmare on elm street 2 yeah, I just watched it because um, I saw a documentary and the documentary was about, it was like the behind the scenes of that movie and like why people say that it's so like homosexual. It has such a, 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 a like a, you've never heard that before? No. Okay, you need to go back. You need to watch this movie. There are some scenes that are very, it's very thinly veiled, uh, homoerotic. There's some, there's stuff going on in this movie. Um, and it's also one of the only movies that has like a final boy, you know? Um, Cause there's not a lot of like men that are left last in a lot of horror movies. And this is one of the few ones. And uh, I went back again and I watched it and I was like, yeah, I see it. I can, I can see what's going on in this movie. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, I'm definitely gonna go back and watch it. Now, yeah. I wonder. Hmm. I'm, I'm gonna go back and watch it. You have my word. <laughs> okay. Okay. You can come back and we can talk about it again. So you decided that you wanted to write, uh, and and you also are are not just a writer, but also a filmmaker as well. And so this is your, is this your first uh, um, feature length film that you're making now? Yeah, this is my first feature length. Um, I usually stick to short films. Um, I also tackled a web series. Um, I was not the only writer on that, however, and it is still in development. All the episodes are written, but you know, my team is getting together locations and actors and things of that nature but as far as feature length yes it was definitely intimidating and so I put it off for years <laughs> and um, this was the first topic that really stuck and really resonated with me and um, I just it, it's passion I, I couldn't I just couldn't walk away so a year later I finished writing it and now we're putting the wheels in motion to get it made 
So this film, um, could you give like a little bit of a, of a summary of the film, the title, um, and also what is your, uh, what was your influence for making this film? So the title of the film is Nightmares Are Dreams Too. And there's a quote from Oscar Wilde that says, they promised that dreams can come true, but forgot to mention that nightmares are dreams too. And that was chilling when I heard it because I thought, I'm, I'm such a like, we live in another dimension type of person. And, and I'm all about dreams and everything. And yeah, we want all of our dreams to come true, but you can't stop the nightmares. That's the one thing that's, that's certain. So you can't stop the nightmares. So what's to say that those also won't come to pass, you know? So that, that was like one of the motivating uh, factors of the script. And another motivating factor is that I am um, a descendant of slavery. Uh, my, I've met my great-great-grandmother when she was 104 years old, and her parents were slaves here in the country and um another thing i've seen like across social media is this outcry of how come we don't have like slave narratives that that depict this accurate version of our history as told to us and also i've never really seen a, a revenge slave piece like i think we've got django and it was very entertaining and i absolutely loved it um quentin tarantino did his thing with that but outside of that, we don't have any. And there was the birth of a nation. But we all know how that story ended, you know. Um, and we knew how it ended before we watched it. And when I watched it, it was still kind of like, bummer, you know, <laughs> like let down. And so, um, and so I was motivated to write a slave piece that was a revenge piece. And I felt like horror was just the best vehicle to do so anyway, because with horror, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's definitely a fictional piece of, you know, it's, I think that it's more, will be widely accepted because it's dressed in horror, as opposed to me just creating some piece where, where like black America revolts. <laughs> so it, it was just the perfect vehicle. And, um, a lot of the, the pieces, you know, started aligning. But what it is, is it's about an adopted child. <clears throat> so we have a 10-year-old adopted child. And the number 10 is very important to the story. And she's adopted by a wealthy white family who lives on the Benoit plantation. And it was passed down. So it's a family heir. So the land is still in the hands of the original former slaveholders. And so the little girl, um, upon being adopted, the foster mother gave a warning to the adoptive parents that the little girl suffers from nightmares that are, she described them as pure evil. And of course, what's a horror without, you know, denial and doubt. And so, <laughs> so the adoptive mother is like, oh, we can handle a few bad dreams. But when the child gets into the home, her nightmares actually come to pass and wreak havoc on the family. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of dark, twisted nightmares that she's having. And the, um, night, the nightmares kind of are more influenced by a, um, a hoodoo woman who lived on the plantation. She was murdered and um she's buried on the lands and she wants revenge so she needed someone 
of her bloodline to be back on the plantation to get revenge. And so she uses the nightmares as a vehicle to do so. I think that the idea that there hasn't been that many slave narrative films is really kind of shocking, you know, because it's just so, it's so perfect for the genre. You know, slavery was so horrific in, in ways that I think are even hard for people to really even wrap their minds around how utterly horrific the whole thing was, um, that it seems so perfect because the first thing I think of when I think of a movie about slave revenge is is actually um, do you remember Tales from the Hood? Did you did you see yeah. that movie? Yeah. There's there's one because uh, you know it's an anthology series. There's one piece in there as and it's about these dolls um, yeah. that come back to life. And that movie scared the ever loving hell out of me. <laughs> but the part with those dolls coming back to life and ripping that white man apart forever. I was like, I don't want to see a doll. I don't want to look at a doll. And my mom had a bunch of these like porcelain figures, you know, of like sweet little, like little Southern characters and stuff like that. And I was like, you put those in a box? You put that box in another box. You bury that box, okay? <laughs> but God, so it's so perfect. It, you know, it it's... One is because of the fact that it's still, we still live with it today. Black people still live, live with the memories of slavery. It's still passed down. It's so fresh in our minds and, and in our spirits and our bodies. And it's also something that I think that white people are terrified of confronting. You know, it's this thing that white people, when you talk to them about, you know, the ramifications of slavery, what it's done to our culture, it is their ultimate nightmare to be confronted with racism or, or the effects of slavery. And it's perfect for a horror movie. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that that was, um, that's the thing is like, we want to present a film that in that way without compromise yeah you know there's there's just there's so many opportunities where something could be good and then um you know I get disappointed when I see something that I'm like wait that's not right or why like why throw that in there when it, it literally could be black and white <laughs> so there's no gray matter here um it's it's exactly what it what it is <laughs> yeah what, were there any, uh, what other films inspired this? Was it just something that was purely personal or were there any other films that you looked at, you were like, I, I want to make something like that? Well, um, there, I mean, of course, with our pitch deck, the film cross that inspired this film is uh, Get Out and The Conjuring. So I am a huge fan of The Conjuring universe and um, I I think I, I just watched them for sport. Like I've seen, um, I've seen several of them um, a few times. And um, so I always thought, you know, I'd like to take a stab at a film like that <laughs> where there's this entity, you know, or, or some demon or possession. And those are things that really interest me. And, and I thought, okay, how, you know, it was always in the back of my head, like save that, save that because you're going to do it. I just didn't know when. And then um, I was also heavily influenced by Get Out. I, I loved how 
real get out was you know it was um it was a horror but i feel like it was a horror in a different way it's like um jordan peele and ari oster have ushered in this new type of horror that i'm just so fascinated with and to be honest it's the type of horror that that i would like to to do so i just blended the two yeah, I think that The Conjuring also, I'm like, I, I love it. I love The Conjuring, and I also love, like, the Annabelle movies. Um, and yeah. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite ones. Annabelle yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and those movies, you know, because, um, and I'm sure you can understand, like, t- I watch a lot of horror movies. I watch a ton of horror movies all the time. But there was something about The Conjuring that just scared me so badly. Um and you know that whole i don't know if it's like how intimate it is it's so it's such an emotional story because at the core of it it's about this couple you know um and their sort of battle their personal battle with evil and there was just something about it that just um the visuals of it oh man the one part where the, she's in, she's checking the basement and she's got her lighter up and she's doing the clap game and then the hands pop out behind her. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that part, I was, uh, I love that part. So when I see stuff like that, I just start cracking up laughing. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, that was very, it was so unique. Right? And, oh and- my God. Um, so this segues into our, our two films of uh, topic, which is Get Out and Midsommar. And I'm so glad that you wanted to pick these movies because of the fact that they are, they're, they're not on the surface so obviously related to each other. But when you start digging deep, these two movies have so much in common uh, and really say so much about uh, the issues that are going on in the world. These two movies, Midsommar and Get Out, are uh, two movies that I think, on the surface, it doesn't really sound like they have a lot in common. But once you dig deeper into those two films, they have a lot in common with each other. Yeah. So why did you uh, want to talk about Midsommar and Get Out? So I've, I've read a lot of reviews on both films, and I feel like a lot of... A lot of uh, things dealing with the films have been discussed already. Like there's a slew of articles and, and interviews and things of that nature. But w- there are a couple things that no one's ever touched on, obviously, because we all have our own experiences with what we encountered with the films. And so I thought that there were possibly some new light that could be shed on both of the films. And, you know, the thing is, is that I think of horror movies almost as, like, pre-Get Out and post-Get Out. It feels like (laughs) something happened with Get Out, and it really changed the kind of conversations that we have about horror movies. You know, not to say anything, this is not, like, you know, shade on any of the former horror movies that we've had in our past, but I feel like in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, you could have a horror movie that was just gory that just had good visual effects that was yeah. just spooky and then get out happened and now every horror movie that comes out has this deeper message to it and has substance and is making commentary on something and now people are taking horror movies in this direction where they view it as serious media you know um this past season 
people were talking about how much like uh, Toni Collette should have been nominated for an Oscar for her acting in Hereditary, which was phenomenal. I completely agree. Yeah. Oh my God. And Lupita Nyong'o should have been nominated for her performance in Us. Um, that Florence Pugh should have been nominated for her performance in Midsommar. Yeah. And now we're having these conversations where we're taking horror in this more um, celebrated or serious kind of direction. And that all changed with Get Out in this way that I think has, the genre now has exploded, not in quantity, but really in quality. I agree. And so I'm really excited. I mean, like there's so many more uh, people of color now that are getting their films made, a lot more women that are getting their films made. Um, I, I was just talking uh, about Nia DaCosta's Candyman, which, oh my God, I'm so excited for this movie. Um, Candyman also, one of those movies that like, you know, has changed black culture, um, so influential, and the fact that they gave it to this female filmmaker, you know, made me so happy. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and so I, I think the Get Out is a, a movie that changed it. What I also think of the similarities between the two movies is that they both have uh, a lot of they both take place in the daytime. They're both these sort of daytime lights, bright movies. Um, and a, the, a lot of the horror is happening during the day, you know? During the day. And, and a lot of the horror, in my opinion, was, was, was mental also. It wasn't like your, your, your typical, you know, jump scare, someone's waiting for you around the corner to, to lunge out with the knife or, or like the clap in, in, in a, um, conjuring. And so, I, I mean, you said it perfectly, you know, Jordan Peele definitely paved the way to usher in a new era of horror, um, something that we've definitely not seen before because of the gore that you mentioned. And I think that um, horror creators were just so kind of um, interested in in scaring audiences in a in a visual way that was. I mean, in my opinion, like I said, it, it's just a quick jump scares, you know. Um, but now we have something to to analyze and digest with Get Out and with Midsummer, And we have takeaways also. Like, I, I mean, when I saw Get Out, um, I, I used to work at NBC Universal. So um, I was fortunate enough to see it um, on the lot in our home theater. But there were um, not just employees there, there were guests. And so I don't think anyone knew what to expect. But um, we all kind of just sat there afterwards. And I think some people were, were like, what did I what did I just watch? Because it really made them think, you know? And so um, that was just, that was such an exciting moment for me personally. But um, whenever you're ready, we can, I can get into like some of the things I wanted to bring up about Midsummer, and then we can um, flow over into Get Out. Please, please, oh, yeah. So with Midsummer, um, I think one of the great things that Ari Aster does is he kind of um, 
gives the audience that punch early on. You know, some people, they wait, um, you know, until you're like 10, 15, 20 minutes in. And even with Get Out, um, Jordan Peele didn't lay it on us early on. You know, we were taken on this beautiful ride through the, the countryside, or it looked like a rural um, street and then to this beautiful estate and you know it, it looked cute and friendly and we were just kind of like eyebrow raised like well what's going to happen but with midsummer and um traditionally what Ari Aster does is like I said he punches the audience right away which we were um in the very beginning with I, I don't want to include any spoilers but you know with what happened <laughs> If you, have you seen and you haven't seen this movie already it's your fault okay because this movie is amazing both these movies are incredible if you if you need to how about you pause this podcast right now okay go watch the movie you come back i have, I have zero sympathy for anybody who has okay well so so sorry but spoiler alert so in the beginning when um you know we saw the panic from danny and we um you know we saw her calling her boyfriend obsessively and then a friend, you know, to, to dish about the latest with her sister. And I, I believe her sister had a uh, bipolar disorder. And so I thought that when we saw that, because her, her boyfriend Christian dismissed it, like, oh, she's always giving us these scares. And when we saw that, this was not a scare and that her sister freaking kills her parents and herself. And, and the, the visual of it where she had the, the mask wrapped around and taped to her, that was so chilling. And so it just left this chilling tear in me. Like I, I was with my boyfriend and I was like, yo, <laughs> like I'm kind of like, I feel some type of way right now. And so that really set the the stage for the rest of the film. It's kind of like, I got you now, but don't worry, because there's much more to come. And I love that about Ari and, and his art. Um, but one of the things I really wanted to hone in on is that, um, so I grew up uh, Pentecostal, apostolic, it's the same thing, really strict um, denomination within Christianity. And there were so many times throughout Midsummer where I swear I felt that the, the ghost, I guess is what we call it. I felt it. And I, I, I almost think that, well, Ari, Ari Aster did a lot of research, obviously, before um, they put this film out. And I really think that also um, included in his research, there were some religious kind of connotations because you know he they they keep saying oh it's folklore and and you know how he crafted this genius movie around this folk uh, magic and this um midsummer is you know um where they have every it's an annual celebration i i really do feel like you know he put some type of a um religious spin on it and no one's mentioning it and I think it's funny because at the end, when they were all um, kind of in in unison, in harmony, when they were all surrounded 
around Danny and they were all doing that breathing and that, ah, that yelling, I'm telling you, it's exactly what goes on in the church. Everyone, you, you just like kind of feed off of each other and, and then your spirit touches other spirits. Cause Danny wasn't, she really wasn't, um, down with any of that at first, if you remember when she went. So I think at, at that point, it's exactly what happens in church. Like you can go and you can visit a couple times and then finally, like you're going to feel something <laughs> and then it, it sucks you in. And I just really felt like that's like Danny got sucked in at the end. And it, it was just so amazing to me to see that. Like, anyway, Ari's, he's a genius, but that, that was like um, something that I really thought about while watching Midsummer, and that I think has not been touched on before. Um, was a religious aspect of the film. Yeah, I mean, I grew up Southern yeah, Baptist, um, and oh. <laughs> if you I know, know about, yes, if you know Southern Baptist, uh, it is a uh, high, high holy rollers, um, and uh, it is mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. church. There is no passive uh, <laughs> experience in a Southern Baptist church. You know. <laughs> Um, the Holy Ghost is going to come down, make an appearance, uh, yes. dances, <laughs> we're going to do something. And so I totally understand uh, that. I think one of the things I just realized as we were talking, as you were talking, um, is this idea of assimilation in both films. Yes. In both yes. films, it's this 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 literal assimilation and get out, which is joining this group of white people um, and becoming, literally becoming this other person. And then for Midsommar, it is this assimilating into this group. And I don't think that Danny wants Mm -hmm. to uh, join the religion. I don't think she cares. I don't think, you know, um, I think that the whole thing about both of those films are these characters that are deeply lonely um, yes. and searching for a, a, a way to be loved, a way to connect, uh, yes. a way to be seen for who they are actually in the world. And both of them are looking at relationships as a way of getting that belonging that they so desperately crave. And that's the, that's the trap. That's where they're at their most vulnerable is when they're trying to um, get their their love from people that you know. I mean, even though Midsummer, if you haven't seen it, and you know, has it has a happy quote unquote ending. Um, <laughs> it's 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 happy. But it's it's sad at the same time. It's this really brutal ending. Um, and Get Out also has this happy question mark, question mark, question mark ending. Um, that is also sad, um, you know. And it's, it's really fascinating um, about these two movies. I think the moral of the two movies, you can't trust white people. And, and that's... <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I like how you said. Um, I like how you said that about assimilation because that still ties back to my take on Midsummer um, and and even Get Out now, as far as like religious ties go. Because 
So both of them lost, they, they're both experienced loss, right? Danny lost her parents and her sister, and then in Get Out, um, he lost his mother. That's what they honed in on. We didn't really hear anything about his father. But um, yeah, he lost his mother, and um, they were looking or searching for some for a relationship to replace just like it's so relatable you know it's 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 what we're used to and so um yeah I definitely think that within the church I've met more people growing up that came to the church because they were missing something something was lacking or they experienced a sudden tragedy or you know something of that nature so I just I thought it was kind of cool how everything tied back to, it's like this huge circle of life. It's, so, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, like a lot of people go and join the church when they're at their most vulnerable. Um, and, yeah. you know, I don't believe that like organized religion is this great evil and nobody no. should, I'm not saying yeah. that I think that, I think religion has a, a great purpose in people's lives. I agree. I agree. And I think what happens is, is when the religiosity um, becomes this manipulative experience, take people and alienate them from themselves and, and, and other people, that's when it becomes this other yeah. thing that's really dark. But it has nothing to do with religion that has to do with people's... Person, yeah. <laughs> you know. The people, exactly, yeah. So when you take these two films and how much they are about the the lengths that we go to when we feel at our most vulnerable, at our most um, weak, um, you know, when you watch the films, maybe the first couple of times you think, what what did I just watch? Like, this movie was crazy. It's a wild movie. But there's a reason why it resonates so much with so many audiences um, and audiences of all backgrounds. You know, when I went first to go see it, I went with a group of black people because I was like, I, I need to go with yeah. this movie. Uh, and there was one white guy, and at the end of Get Out, uh, when um, his friend Rod comes, uh, there was this white guy who looked like, you know, I, I would have assumed kind of conservative looking white guy, <laughs> you know, maybe I, I would have assumed he was, uh, who he voted for in a certain election, you know, oh, yes, um, yes. but at the end of the movie, when the red and blue lights come on, this guy was like, no, 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 and like was losing it. <laughs> And then when Rod came out of the car, he was like, yes, yes, oh. <laughs> you know, the whole entire time, this, this black audience of, of, of watchers, we're losing our minds. But this white guy was, I thought he was about to pass out. You know? And that to me just says that the movie is so much more than just, you know, just the visuals. It's something that yeah. taps in to people's psyches yeah. and resonates with them in this emotional way um, that to me was something that horror films weren't really doing at the time period. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, they, they weren't, they definitely weren't doing that before. I've never, um, there aren't any horror films where, you know, I can really say, oh, wow, I, I, you know, can apply this to, my everyday life there weren't any like social economic or 
um, any race issues or anything like that. And Black horror, um, in, in large, is, I mean, for the most part, always going to be race centered and i mean that's because a lot of our experiences by large are horror centered you know whether it's um police brutality or just experiencing racism as a whole um a lot of our movies aren't even in they're not in the horror section but i think it was uh, ava duvernay who who stated that you know with when they see us that it, it was horror and it is, you know, because it's, it's, um, it's so real and it's our everyday lives and, um, you know, anxiety, our anxiety levels are higher and it's just, you know, to, to live with that every day, it, it has, it bleeds over into our art or into, um, our different forms of expression. And so, um, get out. Um, well, us was different, you know, us, us didn't really focus on race issues as much. Um, it was like a lot of class issues. It was class. Yeah, it was. Um, but even class issues are still issues for black people. So <laughs> yeah, black horror is just horror, um, that we mask in drama and comedy and other forms of art. But, um, yeah, it, it I just, I really love those, those two. And I think that they definitely changed the horror game and um, paved the way for a lot of creatives who weren't necessarily into the slashers and things of that nature. I'm into slashers also. I created a slasher, um, a slasher horror piece, but um, there's so many people who don't like slashers or don't necessarily like The Exorcist or The Conjuring or any of those type of films. but they were able to endure Get Out because uh, of the way that Jordan Peele presented the material to us. So, yeah, and I feel that way about um, uh, Midsommar as well. That it's this movie that is like, it's it's good for people who don't necessarily love the genre, people who don't necessarily yeah. love horror movies. And you can just go and you can watch um, Midsommar and just watch it as just a movie, just a regular movie mm -hmm. and, and absorb that. Um, and, and the different kind of horror elements to it seem much more, um, they seem much more intimate. Like, it's so much more about the, the personal horror, the intimate horror, uh, the horror that we inflict on ourselves uh, and each other. And it's this way of, uh, God, I, and another thing about these two movies that I think is really similar that I just thought of is that both of these movies, uh, I think, like, destroy relationships. Like when I was when I went to go see Get Out, there was so I, I saw that movie four times in theaters. I was so obsessed. With it. Um, there was a, a a mixed race couple that was sitting right in front of me. It was a, I think you know where I'm going with this. It was yeah. a black guy, a white girl, um, and the part in Get Out where Rose is hiding the keys and she like. <laughs> This guy slid his arm so quickly away from this woman. <laughs> like the, the whole movie, 
they're hugged up on each other, and then that part happens, and he's like, listen, um... <laughs> nah, I need to rethink this situation. And yeah. Then, <laughs> Midsommar is also like that as well. It's, it's also this kind of thing of being like, there were so many girls on Twitter who were just like, you know, I need to rethink my shitty boyfriend because, uh, you know, seeing this movie, I also would put him in a bear costume if given the yeah. choice. And, and and I read that Ari um, was just getting out of a, a breakup, right? So he was just in a relationship, and this was another way to, to cope with that. So he was tasked with writing Midsummer um, from, like, this is completely separate. And I guess it was just a script that he revisited after a breakup. So it just all, you know, that's that was his opening. It just all made sense. And um, he was able to, I guess, um, have the breakup lead into the trip. And I thought, I thought that was perfect because everything just, it seemed so natural to me with Midsummer. And I was like, well, it's not too far-fetched that her sister killed her parents and herself because, you know, we've heard stories. It happens. And and then leading up to the trip, none of that was far fetched. And I thought I thought how it all happened, kind of like accidentally inviting her, that was perfect. And then um, on the trip also, um, I thought that they showed the the right amount of of reservation, without you know making it some cheesy summer camp, you know, kind of like a. Because I, I was, I thought that's that's where it was going. To be honest, and I was, um, I, I got through the the beginning, and I was like, okay, so are they gonna end up in some summer camp, and they're gonna be having sex, and someone's gonna come up and slash her? <laughs> but no, it was like it was perfect. I loved it. So, what you were talking about the slasher, I think, is really interesting um, because there's not many black slasher movies. Um, <laughs> And I mean, one of the only ones I can really think of is Candyman. Um, mm-hmm. But Candyman, you know, when you really go back and and watch it, I watched it recently. There's there's some kind of things that didn't age well, or there's some kind of like, okay, I didn't really see this in the '90s. You know, the idea that mm. Candyman only kills other black people in the movie, I felt like that's that's an interesting kind of a take. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I mean, like, if it if, takes like the Brittany Green projects mm-hmm. um, in Chicago, so I know that. I mean, that area is heavily populated with Black people and all the surrounding areas. So I go to Chicago often. So it's like, I mean, I don't know where he would appear to. Uh, yeah, you're right. I guess it didn't age well. I mean, I think the movie is still really uh, amazing and it's really great. Um, But I think that if you were a former slave and you got your hand cut off and some bees put in you, uh, I would would cross the tracks and I would haunt the hell out of white people. Um, (laughs) As you see the need for nightmares or dreams. Yes, I do. I, I really do. Because I, I think that the idea that we've only really had kind of one movie, which is even close to that, that's not nearly enough. Uh, and so I think that um, I, I think that what you're doing is really exciting, and that's why I wanted to ask you on the podcast as soon as I could, um, because 
I, I think it's a it's a fascinating topic and one that maybe right now we are prepared to have. Maybe we weren't so prepared to have this conversation, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. But now I think we're ready to have these sort of deeper dives. And, and also horror allows you to like talk about things that in a way that is not so confrontational. It's this way that's like, okay, I will roll up these difficult conversations in the supernatural, in the paranormal. And then maybe on a deeper dive, you'll be able to understand, which is the thing about like Get Out and Midsommar, the movie only gets deeper and deeper with every rewatch that you have. Mm -hmm. So you're just like, okay. At first, I watched Midsommar, I saw the bear costume, this guy's drinking period blood, and that's kind of, that's all that I kind of watched. And then you watch it again, and you're like, oh, this is a movie about grief, loneliness, and alienation, you know? And so having a conversation about slavery, you could wrap all that up in something where it's like, okay... I mean, is that is that your experience or? Um, uh, yeah, well, well, that's why we said um, that we do believe that horror is the best vehicle to deliver this message, because I think with horror also audiences just have a, a different type of understanding. You know, they they won't be outraged or like, oh, I can't believe that they would put this in a film because it's horror. So you already walk into it with an understanding or with knowing that, you know, I mean, all the elements of horror, someone's going to die um, viciously or, you know, a scary death or, you know, something like that. And it doesn't always have to be fair. It doesn't always have to, to make sense, you know? So I think that just because of some of the traditional elements um, in horror and, and some of the expectations <laughs> with horror that, um, it's just, I mean, it's just a given that, that ushering in a message such as this um, is definitely necessary. And can, in my opinion, it can only be done through horror because, I mean, we've had so many years to try it with, with a drama or something more serious. And we've ended up with Amistad and 12 Years a Slave and, you know, movies that um, are okay for white America to see black americans or just people of african descent period um in chains and shackles being beat and um raped and spat on and all of those things it's okay to see that but it's never okay to see um any type of revenge and that in itself is kind of baffling because it's just a movie right so if it's just a movie then um i, I would just like ask America to, to question themselves as to why we can sit through an hour and a half of, of the suffering of, of certain people, but not of others. And so since we're not at the stage of, of presenting this in a drama yet, then I think that horror is, is going to be our, our stab here. <laughs> and, and that's why we're raising the money for the Kickstarter, because, you know, we're not sure how the film would um would sell or to to hollywood executives who haven't given us this yet you know even with um i'm not sure if you've heard of the movie uh Annabellum. i actually don't know much about it uh, but what i do is i love trailers so i always try and take the trailer 
watch it a million times and catch little things. Like the first time I saw Annabellum, I didn't even see the plane disappearing and reappearing in the sky until I, I saw it, you know, a few times and I was like, okay, cool. Something in time travel or something like that. You know, I'm getting deeper into the trailer, but I also paid attention to the fact that whenever they showed to what appeared to be the evil entity, it was still a white person. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, we get it. This is our actual lives. I don't need to see another white entity, um, you know, haunting us. We are haunted. I yeah. totally get it. So although I am still excited to see Annabellum, and I'm sure that the production value is going to be amazing, the writing is going to be amazing, um, I still think that it's not the type, it's not the film that I was looking for. And so I'm so happy that while Annabella may usher in more um horror slave narratives that mine is completely different and that it is like i said there's no gray matter it is completely black and white it is a slave revenge piece and um my ancestors will definitely avenge the pure evil that they endured which yeah. was slavery so that's so cool uh, so where in the production, you've got the Kickstarter, um, it looked like the Kickstarter, when I checked up on it yesterday, was doing great. I saw that uh, Tanana Rive do uh, a pledge, which was so cool. Um, the, um, and so, yeah, how's it, how's it going? Where do, what do you guys need? Where, what's the next step? So um, we launched the Kickstarter with short notice. I, I believe that some people will tell their fans, okay, we're going to launch in like 30 days or 15 days, et cetera. Um, I think we gave just a, a few day notice advance. And that's, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, super popular anyway. So I figured whoever it's meant, whoever is meant to see this will see it. And I just, I really like operating in spirit and, you know, working with my ancestors and trying to get it out there. We are asking, we're asking to raise $50,000. Um, it's 54300 and we are hoping to hit a stretch goal of $75,000. Um, we launched publicly on January 15th and today makes day eight and we are at like 7500 I think, around there. And I am just so grateful because Kickstarters or crowdfunding in general are very intimidating and a lot of people have so many doubts and, you know, negative things to say about it. Um, but I find this experience extremely rewarding because, you know, this is you trusting in yourself and believing in yourself and putting everything on the line for yourself. And so with Kickstarter, it is all or nothing. So we are reaching out to as many people as possible so that we can raise the funds. And we are blasting it on social media. Uh, I feel like hourly at this point. <laughs> I'm going delirious. But um, Matthew Cherry was one of the first to donate. And I was so grateful for that because just with, you know, him notifying his followers that he did that brought more attention to us and then um today of course like you said we just got the great news so and that that actually i think drove um an additional four hundred dollars just from that retreat so you know um we have a long ways to go our kickstarter ends on march 13th friday the 13th of course everything that we do needs to be purposeful <laughs> but um I, I truly believe that we're going to raise all of the money that we need. And at this point, I am just praying for the stretch goal. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's been, as I saw the Matthew Cherry thing and, and the Town of No Review do, the community aspect, you know, that so many people, other um, Black filmmakers, Black creatives, you know, they see this, myself included, and it's like, let's invest in our stories, you know? I think your story is like, it's resonating so much with other people that they're just like, we want to see ourselves now. Uh, and, you know, even if you don't get the support from major mainstream, um, uh, you know, finances, we're now more focused on investing in ourselves. And I think that that's, I mean, like, honestly, I, you know, Kickstarter is tough for people. Um, I totally understand that. But like, how fortunate are we that we're able to just ask our community directly? Let's exactly. fund our projects. Right. And we, I mean, every dollar helps, you know, some people um, probably don't want to just give a dollar, but that dollar helps and you can do it anonymously. We'll never know who you are. Um, you'll help us get closer to our goal. And um, if you would like to pledge more, then we would totally love that also. <laughs> but um, again, like, you know, the pledges are start at a dollar and go all the way up to as much as you want to pledge. You can do it anonymously. You do not have to create a Kickstarter account. You can continue as a guest. And the pledges do not come out until March 13, 2000. Oh, it's 2020. 2020. <laughs> Um, so that's another great thing is that when you pledge, you know, there are no, um, funds deducted from your account and there are no authorization holds. It is all or nothing. So Kickstarter will not touch your money until March 13th. Um, we are unfortunately out of time, which sucks because I feel like we could talk more about this for hours and hours and hours. Um, but this was so fantastic. It was so good to talk to you. Um, I think that, you know, I'm so excited for your career, for your future, uh, for the stories that you're trying to tell. And um, I'm just so happy to be able to have the opportunity to meet other people who um, are, are telling our stories, you know, it's, it's our time now. And I just, I feel so happy. Um, so where can people find you? Where can people find the information about the Kickstarter? I am on Instagram at Brit Banks Productions. That is B-R-I-T-T Banks, B-A-N-K-S, and then Productions. Um, I also have a, a personal Instagram, which is Brit Banks again. And then on Twitter, it is Brit Banks, <laughs> B-R-I-T-T-T-B-A-N-K-S. So that's three T's in there. And um, you can definitely follow along. I have uh, Nightmares 2 um, Twitter, and I also have a Ronald the Series on both Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. And I will put all that information in the show notes below so that you guys can check out and help this amazing production and this amazing filmmaker get on the ground for, or tell everybody that you were here before uh, Britt Banks blows up and Britt Banks production <laughs> blows up. Okay. You want to be early on this. Thank you so much to Britt for coming in for this episode. And also thank you to the audience for listening. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and I will be back in another two weeks for another Another new episode so stay cool and stay spooky and i will see you later Bye.
Thank you guys for listening to tonight's episode so, so, so much. And thank you so much to Britt Banks, who uh, was the special guest for today's episode. I'm so sorry that this was put up late. Like I said, I was super sick. I also apologize for the weird, echoey, reverby technical issues that are happening through this podcast. Listen, I, I'm not a technician, all right? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just making up as I go along. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you back in a few weeks with a new episode. Bye.